Come on, let's say good morning to the chapel in Richmond and Mosley, Chesterfield County Jail, Department of Corrections. We're glad you're here. Glad you're here. Thank you. You can be seated. Well, we're in a series called You Asked For It, and I'll tell you about that in just a second, but always love to look at the camera in the back of the room. Uh, like Pastor Joel said, we are one church in a couple of different locations, and God's doing incredible things at the chapel in Richmond, Scott's Edition neighborhood, good morning to them, and the chapel in Mosley Elementary School, love what God's doing there, and then the joy we have to bring all of who we are as a church into Chesterfield County Jail and Virginia Department of Corrections, good morning, good morning, you're not a project to us, you're our people, and so we're glad you're here. How's everybody feeling today, good? Yeah, awesome. I love to be a part of a church that honors those who have served us and uh, protected us. We're thankful. We're thankful for the, for the place, for our city and our country. And all of God's people said, amen, we're thankful for that. Well, we're in a series called You Asked For It, and uh, it's, it, it's based on a survey that we do every Easter where you write in all your different questions. And it's, it's the least pressure series of the year, because if you don't like it, you ask for it. And uh, but um, we, we got a bunch of questions over the last few years, and we never really got at this one, and it had, had to do with, like, saving and dad and money. And so I'm going to answer the question this weekend, what about finances? Come on, what about finances? How many know the Bible has something to say about money? And how many know money is neither good nor bad, but how many know it, it's how we use it for God's glory, Right? And so we're going we're gonna to learn God's plan on contentment. And I feel kind of bad because we're heading right into to Thanksgiving and Christmas. And, and I'm going to preach on being content. So if you're, if you're a kid here today, your Christmas may go down. No, uh, that's not my goal. But uh, how many know we were meant to be content? But how many know we live in a world that does not think that, Right. And in fact, uh, I, didn't, I never thought I was susceptible to commercials, but last year we transitioned away from normal cable to Hulu. And so some of the shows we watch, I, I can't fast forward the commercials. I feel terrible. And I find myself being, being drawn into some of these dumb products that I never thought. I mean, I tell Katie, if we don't get this hoodie right now, I mean, right now, if we get one, we can get three for the price of one. I mean, just, and we can make it, we can make the payments in easy steps. You know what I mean? And so <laughs> whether it's a MyPillow, which by the way are amazing, or, uh, or, or, or a, a, a hoodie or whatever, it, basically all these, promise, all these products promise if you just get this, your life will be great, you know? But how many know uh, things do not bring happiness? And, and I, I think you can be content and be rich, and you can be content and be poor. It's not a matter of how much you have. It's a matter of how much those things have us. And so I want to I talk to you this weekend about what does the Bible teach you. There's a scary book called uh, The Year Our Country, America Lost Its Soul, that asks the question, what would you be willing to do for $10 million? Do you know 25% of people would abandon their entire family for $10 million? Come on, some of you are like, $5 million. No, I'm just kidding. 23% would become a prostitute for a week or more. 16% would give up their American citizenship for $10 million. 10% would withhold testimony, letting a murderer go free. Come on. This is a scary place we live in. Come on. 7% would kill a stranger. Welcome to church. And 3% uh, would put their children up for adoption. 
Come on, some of you are like, I'd do that for one million, you know. So we live in a world that uh, says money or possessions or this, this thing. When, when, we live in the when-then culture. When this happens, then I'll be happy. And whether it's a season of life or a socioeconomic status, I want to look together today and what does the Bible have to say about money. Let me just give us two verses that get us started. The Bible says if we have food and clothing, we should be content with that, okay? So... <laughs> Do you know you, if you have a working toilet, are part of the 1% of the wealthiest people on planet Earth? Some of us don't think of ourselves as rich, but if you were to study globally or even throughout history, we have resources and ability and access to technology and a standard of living that most of the world has never had. And Paul reminds Timothy that if you have food and you have clothing, you should live a content life. In fact, Hebrews warns us Keep yourself free, not from money, but from the what? From the love of money and be what? Be content with what you have. And so I want to ask you this question this weekend. How can we learn contentment, right? We live in a culture where pretty soon Santa is going to be in the mall and you put the kid walks up, sits on his lap and he gives the list to Santa that he wants. And we have to learn contentment. My parents did this thing to me when I was a kid. I, 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 would, I would have like one Christmas present that I really wanted, and they would give me all my Christmas presents except the one I wanted. And, and then my, my dad would say, well, did you get everything you wanted? And I would say, well, no, I really love everything I have, but I didn't get the, I don't, you know, whatever it was. And then he would do, go to my mom, you know what? Hmm. I wonder if we forgot one more present. You know what I mean? And, and, and they, finally, by like the third time, I was like, Dad, I'm 16. I get it. Where's the thing I want? Let's just start with that. You know what I mean? Like, I don't care about anything else. And, and the, the truth is, uh, we have to learn to be content. And, and, and we have to, and, we, and the, the, this next season of life is going to push us. And I'm not a bah humbug guy. I like Christmas music. I'm not, I'm not a, you know, I'm fine with Santa, even though if you rearrange his letter, letters, it says Satan. But, you know, I, I, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, I'm fine with Santa. I'm fine with Christmas cookies and Christmas gifts. I'm not the bah humbug guy. Some of you want to wait till after Thanksgiving to listen to Christmas music. I say, turn it on now. Come on, somebody, and be happy. And, uh, but I am saying that this whole season is sometimes built around this fact that if you just get this or do this, then you'll be happy. And the Bible teaches us that things do not bring us happiness. Jesus said, our life does not consist in the abundance of possessions, right? How many know when you get that new shirt, one day it'll be that old shirt? Come on, when you get that new car, one day it'll be that what? That old car. And so we're gonna look together. What is, Pastor, what, if, what is the secret to contentment? And Paul teaches this in Philippians chapter four, verse 10, and all the way to the end of the book. And he starts by thanking the church. He says, I'm so great, grateful, I, I rejoice that you've renewed your concern for me. You were concerned but had no opportunity to show it. And so basically this church in, in the city of Philippi had sent Paul a gift. And in fact, they had sent him a couple of gifts through a man named Epaphroditus and their gifts were to help his ministry at preaching the gospel. And Paul says to them, I'm thankful that you didn't have an opportunity to show up, but then when you did, you were generous in giving me gifts to let the ministry go forward. But it's interesting to me, he doesn't thank God just for their gift. He thanks God for them. 
And let me just give you this first thought. We've got to get this in our spirits. We've got to learn to value people more than possessions. Come on, we've got to learn to value what? Come on, people more than what? Possessions. And, and I think we live in a world that values possessions sometimes and not, not as much people. And Paul, even when he thanks the church for what they gave, he thanks them for them for their heart of giving, for their heart of generosity. And, and that's what I want to remind us today. People are more important than possessions. Uh, uh, souls are more important than stuff. <laughs> you know, uh, what's going on in people's lives are more important than the things we can accumulate in life. And, uh, and I'm just reminding us of that today because our culture says, you know, you know, get and go after and achieve and accumulate and put together. The other day they were building a brand new something on the, on the road near my house and I said, I can't wait to see what this is. And it's another self-storage place. What is the deal with this? How I many know we not only have garages and basements, we have separate containers for stuff. And if you have self-storage, that's fine. I'm a guy who likes to throw it out, come on. Where are the people who like to throw it out with me? Just throw it out. Just throw it out. Just turn to the person next to you and just tell them, let it go. Come on, just tell them, let it, let it go. Turn to the person who told you that. Come on, Mosley, Richmond, tell them, mind your own business. Come on, tell them. <laughs> but Paul says, in fact, I'm, I'm, I'm giving this thank you to you, not because I'm in need. I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances so he's saying, I'm, I'm thanking you for what you did for me, but it's not a subtle way of asking you for more. I'm just telling you, I've learned to be content because he understood this. He understood that possessions are not the key to happiness. They're not, the possessions are not the key to happiness. And he tells us why, because he says, listen, I know what it's like to be in need and I know what it's like to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether I'm well-fed or hungry, whether I'm living in plenty or in want. So the Apostle Paul probably grew up wealthy because he was well-educated. Uh, biblical documents tell us that he was trained in Gamil's school. He was well-educated, but then, then he took the, the position of an itinerant preacher. And, and so he knew what it was like to have a lot, and he knew what it was like to have a little. He knew what it was like to eat ra ramen, and he knew what it was like to eat ribeye. Come on, somebody. Like he knew what it was like to have a lot of stuff and he knew what it was like to have a little stuff and he, he wasn't held by his stuff. And I'm just reminding us today, it's okay to have stuff, but it's not okay for stuff to have us. It's okay to have things, but it's not okay for things to have us. It's okay to have possessions, but it's not okay for possessions to have us. And so Paul's thankful for people, uh, uh, two years ago, I had the privilege of being invited by a team member of John Maxwell to be a part of a, a small group one-day event with John Maxwell. There's 30 pastors in this room. And so they, they said all I had to do was get there and everything would be covered. So, and it was in February in West Palm Beach. How many know I heard the voice of the Lord? And I said, I think I'll come. And uh, I decided to stay two extra days after and, and I brought my two oldest kids with me and and, and they put us up in a hotel that I'd never been in like a hotel like this. You know what I mean? Like you, you get out and it's like all special and fancy. And my kids are like, whoa, this is a lot. And like, this is awesome, you know? And, and, and I'm like, pretend like we know what we're doing here. You know what I mean? Like, and so it was, it was and so I go into the training and I've only been there like an hour and I come back to the room to, to check on the kids and see how they're doing. And this is my oldest son. 
Come on, he's got the robe on and he's opening a $20 bottle of water. And he said, it's just a bottle of water. I said, no, it isn't. It's a whole, it's a whole thing. Put the cap back on and let's hope they don't notice that you broke the seal. Bless the Lord. And, uh, and there he is with the robe. And there, in fact, it was amazing. Later that day, he's like, I got kicked out of this pool. And I said, buddy, what pool? And he's like, the one right in the center of the, the dining room outdoors. And I was like, that is, that's just a decorative He's like, oh, that's why it wasn't, it was only up to my knees. And I was like, that is, so he literally is the kid in the middle of this fountain. And the rich people are like, who's this kid? And they're like, oh, there's a pastor's group in town. You know what I mean? So I had the great news to tell them we were staying two extra days. And so we checked out of that hotel and we went to just a normal Hilton. Like it was great, nice. And we walk in the Hilton and they're like, oh, no, no. I'm like, what do you mean, nope? You've had one day of luxury in your whole life and you've adjusted to that. They're kind of like, you know, we can't do this. There's, you know, nobody puts stuff on our pillows. We're carrying our own luggage. How do we live? You know, and I'm like, listen here, you little demons. Okay. How many know it's real easy to get attached to stuff? It's real easy to get attached to stuff. And I'm just here to remind us today that it's okay to have things, but it's not okay for things to have us. And our light does not uh, uh, consist of the abundance of our possessions. We've got to have something that goes deeper, and that's a connection with other people. How many know personal relationships are more valuable than property? Come on. And Paul thanks God for their generosity. And you say, well, pastor, how do I get content? Well, right in the flow of these verses is the key. Paul says, here's how I've learned how to be content, whether I had a lot or a little. It's verse 13, and we quote this verse all the time, but sometimes we don't know the context of Paul saying, be content. He says, here's how I'm content, because I've learned that I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. Come on, say that with me. I can do what? I can do all things through Christ who, come on, one more time. I can do what? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so this is I mean, I love this verse applied to a lot of things, but in this chapter, it's connected to contentment. I used to play basketball at a church gym that had this verse on the free throw line. And you know, you'd be like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then you're like, what's with the deal, Jesus? You promised me. And here's what Paul is saying. Here's what he's saying. If you have a connection to the treasure of Jesus Christ, it will make the treasures of this world less necessary in your life. And you'll, even if you get them, God may give them to you. And I'm, listen, I, th- I think it's possible to be stingy and rich and stingy and poor, by the way. I think it's possible to be greedy and rich and greedy and poor. How many know what I'm talking about, right? But, but here's the point. We've got to learn to value our relationship with our treasure with Jesus more than the treasures of this world. If you're ever going to learn contentment in life, you're going to have to remember your relationship with Jesus. Paul says, I can do all things through Christ. He says, I've learned to find my contentment in Jesus. Look here today. Maybe somebody invited you here. If you try to fill your soul, uh, the, the void in your soul with the things of this culture and world, it will never satisfy. Jesus alone can satisfy the soul whether it's a human relationship or material goods or fame or recognition. I mean, we, uh, we just, how many times, even the hor- uh, horrible loss of Matthew Perry a couple of weeks ago, we see people who have it all kind of in the culture and yet it hasn't satisfied their soul. How many know Jesus alone can satisfy the soul, right? 
And Paul describes how it is this way. He says, yet I want to tell you it was good for you to share in my troubles. Because he said, moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I just, he says, I'm not, thank, I'm not thanking you because I'm asking you to give more. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. Catch this. He's saying, I want you to be generous, not just for my ministry, but because of what it does to you. Have you found that generosity brings joy? Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. The culture says the opposite. You know, my name is Jimmy. Gimme, 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 right? But Jesus said, there's a joy. When I was a kid, my dad would say, it's, it's, brings me more joy to give to you than to get on Christmas. And I was like, well, we're, we both agree, you know, until <laughs> you're an adult. And then you realize, I don't really care. They're gonna give me a sweater I don't like, but I wanna just bless my kids. And Paul says, I'm, I'm asking this that might be credited to your account for I've received full payment and have more than enough. I'm amply supplied from the gift you sent me. But your gift, look at this, is a fragrant offering an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. He says, when you gave to God, just like in the Old Testament, they sacrificed a, a lamb or a goat or a pigeon and the smell would, of, the, of, the, um, of the barbecue, come on, would fill the rib joint. You know what I mean? He says, that is what happens when we're generous with God's kingdom. It, it's received as worship to God. It's received as praise to God. And he's thanking them for their generosity. And here's what he's thanking them and catch this and just write it down. He's thanking them that they were more concerned with God's kingdom than their own kingdom. They were more concerned with what? With God's kingdom than their own kingdom. And they were giving, Paul said to him, multiple times through Epaphroditus, through generosity. Now, just look this way. Generosity brings the giver joy. And Paul's saying that. You know, this one phrase hit me in this chapter and I wanna, I'm, I'm aware that this could be misinterpreted, so I want to say something up front. I'm praying that every church in Richmond is blessed by God. In fact, I text pastors, multiple pastors. We text on Sunday mornings, have a great Sunday, hope it goes, goes good, have an amazing voice memo, praying for you, all that kind of stuff. How many know we, we want to see every Jesus-preaching church in this community be great, right? But Paul says something interesting I just want to talk to you for one minute. I want to give you, can I just give you my own, can I stand on my own soapbox for two minutes and just give you something that's on my heart? Is that okay? You say whatever. Okay, I have the mic, so it's hard to stop me right here. This phrase kind of jumped off the page of my Bible this week. Paul says, there are so many churches that were faithful, but there was only one church. It was only you guys. Not, not one other church did this except you. And God just put this on my heart for us. I think God has called us, and I want all churches to do well. I've already said that, right? But I think he's called us to be a church that's set apart. That can say, even if others can't, we will. I think he's called us to be a not one church. <laughs> like even if everybody else can't give to missions, no, no, no. We're gonna give to missions, okay? We always do end of the year missions offering and somebody said, now that we're building the building and really rolling and trying to see, see this thing across the finish line, are we still giving to missions in December? And God just said to us, we're still giving to missions in December. 
We, we still are blessing guitars for vets because we want to see the healing power of music uh, heal our heroes. And honor. like, we're, How many know we're still committed to the kingdom of God, right? And we want to be a not one church. And I just want to pause and say that to me is what you are as a church. You're a not one church, okay? You're a special church. I'm telling you, the other day I was meeting with a pastor who was wanting to do 21 days of prayer. It was amazing. And he said to me, tell me how many days in the morning do you have a full worship team for prayer at 7 a.m.? I said, every day. He said, every what day? And I said, every day. And he said, what time do they show up? I said, they show up about 5.30. And he said, you have a full band or like an acoustic? You know, when churches say we're going acoustic, it really means we couldn't recruit a whole band. I know they say it a different way, but they're like, we're going acoustic. Oh, really? You know. Uh, and I said, no, every day. And he's like, what do you mean every day? I was like, every day musicians show up at 5.30, 21 days in a row to create an atmosphere of praise and worship and prayer. And they were like, so you're telling us we should ask our band? I was like, I don't know if you can ask your band, but I could ask my band because I'm going to come on somebody and not one church. Come on, give, it a, give, give God praise for those that serve, right? Like I'm going to... I said, not only that, but in 21 days of prayer, there's like 50, 60, 70 uh, students and young adults that show up in prayer. Some of them actually walk and we give them donut holes. We call it glaze and praise. Come on, somebody. And he said, what do you mean young people come to church? I thought just the old people love to pray. No, our young, how many know? No, no, no. Our young people show up to pray. Come on, somebody, because we're a what? We're a not one church, right? We're not one church, meaning, meaning we're not one church. Catch this, three weeks ago, we're baptizing 60 people in Chesterfield County Jail and we're standing between two doors in the middle trying to get out. There's 40 volunteers from the chapel. We've got a keyboard, we've got guitars, we've got a, a, a projection system, we've got, we've got metal devices everywhere. They didn't even, they just let us through with all this equipment, 40 of us, and we were locked between two doors and we were like, this is amazing. Like we have a lot of contraband in this prison right now. You know what I mean? Like, you know what I mean? Uh, don't take that wrong, but you know, and we're like, come on, we're a not one church that gets to participate in 55 men and women being baptized for the glory of Jesus. Come on, somebody, we're a not one church. Uh, last Sunday night at, at what's the name? Coffeewood Prison. Seven of our team went into a Mac, a Mac prison there, uh, uh, two hours away, preached the gospel of Jesus, led in worship, ministered the, to the message of Jesus as we're moving even more and more into more prison. How many know we're a not one church? Come on, somebody. We're not one church. We're, hey, hey, we're building a building and believing that a year or 10 months from now when we cut the ribbon, we're not going to owe any money on it. People say you can't do that. No, we're a not one church. We're just, we're believing God to do something in our city that shows off that it's not about us. It's so big and incredible and impactful that it declares the glory belongs to Jesus Christ alone. Anybody want to be a part of a not one church? Come on, a not one church. So. All right, that was the part of my sermon that, that was just like it said, Brandon rant, and now we move on. Come on, turn the person next to you and tell him he's done with that. Come on, tell him he's done with that. So right in the heels of this, as Paul's thanking God for their generosity, and he tells them this is the promise, and I love this verse, and my God will meet, or, or one translation says, my God shall supply all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, look this way. Jesus promises to take care of you. In fact, do you know in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was preaching and he looks up at the birds and he's like, you see how they don't have barns to store up a 401k? <laughs> but your father feeds them every day with worms. And Jesus said, how much more valuable are you than the little bird? 
He looked at the grass and he said, you see how that grass is here today and gone tomorrow, thrown into the fire. And God closed that grass, not even Solomon and all of his splendors, his dress like one of those blades of grass. How much more will your father clothe you? And he says, the grass withers, the flower fades. You know, this comes and goes, but your father in heaven who knows what you need even before you ask him will provide for you. So just seek first his kingdom. I'm just reminding you that God meets all of our needs. Just write this down. Remember, God is our what? Come on, God is our provider. Just write down this verse. I don't have it on the screen, but 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says, what do you have that you did not receive? And if you received it, why do you boast as though you did not Your employer doesn't pay you. God just uses them to pay you. Your provider is God. And we're tempted to think more human, right? My my provider is something in this earthly realm. How many know our provider is God? Who's gonna provide? My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. He might use a business, use a connection to other people, but no, 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 I'm reminding myself of what David said. Once I'm young and now I'm old, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or a seed begging for bread. How many know God knows how to take care of his children? He just does. But let me give you one one bit of a reminder on this verse because we love to quote it. My God shall supply all your needs. He's speaking it to people who are living a life of generosity. Ouch. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, if you'll give to God, he's kind of saying this. If you take care of God's house, he'll take care of your house. I just believe that. We believe that around here at the chapel. We believe that if you take care of God's kingdom, the tithe in the local church in God's house, God takes care of you. My grandpa used to always say, you can never outgive God. How many know you can never outgive God? And I was uh, 22 years old when I was getting ready to go to seminary and I didn't have a summer job. And so I decided I was gonna be an itinerant preacher. And uh, uh, I printed all these letterheads and I (laughs) had a picture of Katie and I and mailed out, I did a mailer to 400 churches to try to get me to preach. And I preached that, um, that summer, every Sunday morning, Sunday night and Wednesday night in the smallest churches in New York you've ever seen. I mean, like it was incredible. And it was, I was just excited. We drove all over the state. And in fact, we'd get an honorarium of like $25 and we'd drive three hours. So it was like, I was losing money. You know, I was like, just enough for gas, please. You know, and one church, it was this big church invited me to preach. They were like a thousand person church. And I couldn't believe it. I was preaching all these little churches. I was like, who would have a 22 year old who doesn't have anything really to say and, you know, preach and so I went and preached at First Assembly of God in Binghamton, New York. And I was having, um, I was at Cracker Barrel after church because that's where you eat once the Lord moves. And uh, with the pastor after, and I said, Pastor Kirk, why did you, I'm just curious, why did you have me preach? In fact, it was that night I got a $400 honorarium. I couldn't believe it. I opened it. I was like, Katie, we are rich. Whatever you want, wherever you want. It's like we don't ever have to work again, you know. (laughs) I remember saying to Pastor Kirk, why did you let me preach? Like, I'm just curious, I'm 22. He said, well, I want to tell you a story. And years ago, Pastor Kirk had been a youth pastor at my home church in Syracuse. And my grandfather, my grandfather, who owned a construction company, had been a friend of his. And he told me a story of planting a church in Cooperstown, New York, and his opening day at that little church in Cooperstown, my grandfather came. He said, when we counted the offering that afternoon at our new church plant, there was a set of Oldsmobile keys in the offering. 
with a note from your grandfather that he is giving my wife and I, who only had one car, a car. And he said that literally, I drove that car, he said, for eight years as I started to build this church. He said, so I didn't know if you could preach or if you couldn't preach. I just figured your grandpa gave me a car. So I owed you at least one honorarium and one time to preach. (laughs) How many know the seed sown of generosity? Years before I even knew what was happening were blessing my, my, my life and the spillover of the generosity of my grandfather was spilling on my life. Do you know, seven years after that, I'll be, no, five years after that, I become the senior pastor of that same church and it all tied back to the generosity of my grandfather. My grandfather used to always say this, you can't outgive God. I'm just telling you, you can't outgive God. In the middle of uh, Bible college, um, Katie and I got really, we got, we went through a season where we just loved to play Monopoly. <laughs> Anybody like to play Monopoly? Come on, Monopoly. And it, it can go like three, four hours. And, and uh, I remember one day, me and Katie and my friend named Rob, Rob Goble was there. We were playing Monopoly and I was, I'm, I'm pretty good at Monopoly. I'm just telling you, uh, if I might say so myself. Uh, I had my hotels built and the railroads and I was kind of cleaning up pretty good. And I was kind of talking like, you know, you guys need any lessons on Monopoly, I could tell you my strategy and I was talking and it really, it kind of started to bother Katie. And so she said, I'm gonna stop playing, but I'm giving all of my money and property to Rob. And I said, I don't think you can do that. That's not in the rules. And she's like, that's what I'm doing. And so I said, oh, it's fine. I'll beat him anyways. Even with you giving him all this stuff, I'll beat him. And so she gives him all this stuff. And about 30 minutes later, I realized I'm losing. I'm, and I'm getting bothered by this, you know, because it's not fair. So I say, you know, this is really isn't fair. And they were like, no, you, you were, you were, you're the hot shot. And so you, and I finally, I got so upset. In fact, Rob and I are still friends to this day, but I don't know why I got so angry. I said, Rob, I'm asking you to leave my apartment. And he's like, oh, you're joking around. I was like, no, I'm not. You're gonna, you're gonna make fun of me. You know, you, you guys cheated with the monopoly, and now. This is happening and you're talking smack to me, so leave. And he's like, you can't be serious, Brandon. And I put my finger under the corner of the board. And I just went like this, real quick, just enough to shift everything. And I said, oh, I am serious, get out. And he stood up and he walked out of that uh, apartment. And I looked at Katie like, boom, you know. And uh, the next day was day of prayer and fasting and so. They're like, if any of you has aught in your heart towards another brother, and I'm like, I gotta go say I'm sorry to Rob. In fact, I still talk to Rob this day. We still laugh. He actually says he'll never play another board game with me, and uh, I'm okay with him being a little scared, you know. Uh, But you know what I've noticed after Monopoly? When all the game is over, no matter whether you won or lost, no matter how many hotels you built, no matter whether all the cash lands in front of you, how many know what happens at the end of Monopoly? You pick up the the hotels, and they go where? Back in the box. You pick up the fake money, it goes where? Back in the box. So I don't, (laughs) I'm not trying to be discouraging today. But when you die, it all goes back in the box. You say, no, 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 my car. No, 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 it's just gonna go, it's gonna get passed on to your grandkids and they're not gonna take care of it. You say, no, my couch, it's just, I'm telling you, your daughter, she's gonna do, it's gonna, she's gonna not take care of it at all. 
How many know? Well, how many know in this life we can't take it with us? Come on. It all goes back in the box. And Paul's just reminding us it's okay to have stuff. I pray your businesses are blessed. I pray through diligence and wisdom. God does incredible things in and through you. But let's not forget. Let's not get so arrogant in our own mind that we say, look at this hotel and look at this house and look at this railroad I own. And look, oh, I'm a man. Let's not forget that when the game is over and it's all said and done with, all that stuff's going to be swept back in the box. And one day when we see Jesus face to face, we're not going to be able to tell him about our business or our car or our house or our beach house. No, no, no. We're only going to be able to tell him about the things we've done for his kingdom. How many know that gives you perspective, right? Gives you understanding, gives you a reminder. So Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. All right, we're over time. I just need to give you one more verse. Can I share with you one more verse? Okay, turn to the person next to you and tell them one more verse. Come on, one more verse. And then I'm going to pray for us in Richmond and Mosley and Paul. So Paul's talked about contentment, and now he's closing the letter to his friends. He says, hey, make sure you tell everybody, greet them all, all God's people in Christ Jesus, the brothers and sisters who are with me, they're sending you greetings, right? And he says, all God's people here send you greetings. I love this, especially those who belong to what? Caesar's household. Think of this. The early church, Paul longed to go to Rome. In fact, when he wrote the book of Romans, he had not been there yet. He said, I long, Romans 1.11, to come to you that I might impart some spiritual gift to you. But when Paul and the early church couldn't figure out how to get the gospel into the politician, into Caesar's uh, rulership and his governance, God did something amazing. He put Paul in prison. <laughs> And in order to protect him, Caesar issued the, the warning that Paul had to be chained to a Roman soldier. <laughs> and what they thought they were doing was chaining a Roman soldier, or chaining Paul to a Roman soldier. But what they were really doing was chaining a Roman soldier to a preacher. And there, with, <laughs> where they could only get 24 inches of chain away from each other, those Roman soldiers would have to sit in eight-hour shifts with Paul as Paul would write letters, as Paul would pray to God, as Paul would share the gospel of Jesus. And people wondered, how are we ever gonna reach Caesar's household? But what started to happen was Paul would share the good news of Jesus Christ. And guess what? One soldier after another found a man with joy in the middle of a prison who had a hope that exceeded his present circumstances, and they start becoming believers. And Paul's literally telling the church, hey, good news, you know how y'all were praying? for some people in the, in the government to come to know Jesus. I want you to know they're chaining these guys to me and that is the best crowd. I mean, like if I keep preaching another 20 minutes, you're all gonna leave no matter how good it is. But how many know this guy, they can't. And one by one by one, they start giving their faith to Jesus and Jesus starts building his church in a way. How many know sometimes God will do things in ways we can't even imagine, right? He says, so I'm sending you a greeting and it's from all the believers, but just so you know, God's doing something really special among these Roman soldiers and, and it's getting all the way into Caesar's household. And that's what I love about the good news of Jesus Christ. You can't chain it. You can't lock it up. You can't push it out. You can't keep it out. God will build his church. God will build his kingdom. God will let the gospel of Jesus Christ transform people's hearts to the glory of God the Father. Somebody say amen to that today, right? Like, and in that we have set our hope. Well, I'm gonna pray for us today and then I'm gonna turn the services over to uh, the, the chapel in Richmond and the chapel in Mosley so that we can uh, be dismissed today. God, thank you for your love. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your church. Thank you for this group of no other church kind of church.
God, I pray you'd reward them and bless them. God, keep us content in this holiday season. God, focused on you, focused on your kingdom. For we pray it in Jesus' name. And everyone said together.